All right, guys, welcome back this week. We have an amazing guest on the podcast here at Healthy Husband Project. Joining me today is a good friend, mentor of mine. Uh, it's someone that I work with on a professional level and just an amazing guy, Michael Clifford. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. Amazing. I am amazing at nothing except for like, <laughs> somehow maintaining the rest of this hairline that's hung on for the last five or six years. That's about all I'm amazing at. So dude, thank you for the kind words. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I, I'm very excited to have this conversation. Uh, there's so much that I still don't know about your story. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to start today is I would love to hear you tell your story as, as much as you want to give uh, just some context for where this conversation is coming from. Yeah, sure. So, um, Man, we this this will be multiple episodes if we go down every iteration of my life. So I'll I'll kind of summarize a bit of it and then tell you where different awakenings happened. Um, so I was born in Hawaii. Somehow I got stuck in Illinois. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, no, so I was I was a military brat. Uh, I moved around a lot when I was younger. Oh, cool. Um, likewise, likewise for me. So that, that's contributed to a little bit about the way that, that I am. Uh, I'm, I'm introverted and that's, I don't know if that's happened more over the last few years or, or what, but despite being introverted, uh, I'm, I'm very good at talking to people. I, I have no issue with talking to anyone, having conversations. Um, and I attribute that to being a military brat because when you're constantly moving around as a kid, as a child, you always want friends. And yeah. so it's very difficult to make new friends if you don't have good people skills. And so I was forced as an adaptation as a kid who wanted more friends to have better people skills. And so the plus is, hey, I'm, I'm great with working with the public. And the downside of that is, as a man, I don't have any lifelong friends. Like, I don't have those, those bonds of like, oh, we're buddies in in junior high and now you know we're we're friends forever like i don't i don't have any of that so um that's, that's kind of plus and minus that's so crazy i uh, i have the uh, that exact exact same story and i'm an introvert who learned how to communicate with others because of the fact that we moved every year or two and mm -hmm. i had to make new friends and it's the same thing like i don't have i don't have high school buddies i don't have kids i grew up with you know yeah. yeah. And, and I've also, uh, man, I have such a strange path and I've gone through so many different versions of myself. Um, so when I, I lived in, in rural Georgia and if you see any of my like first, second, third grade pictures, it's like me, three other white kids and like all black. Right. And so when I moved up North, and saw just white people it was total culture shock like i i was in a completely different environment and so you know fast forward again if you look at like my junior high photos you see a lot of preppy white kids um at the time because i'm a bit older right i'm almost 40. so that's when nike was really big and everyone had like the Michigan jerseys or the North Carolina jerseys. And yeah, yeah. If you played sports, that's what you wore. Well, I I was in like Carl Kanai and cross colors and stuff that black kids wore, right? Because that was that's that's my thing. That was that was my environment at the time. And so you see like all of these preppy white kids and they're matching sports outfits and then you have me in like super long sagging jean shorts big baggy t-shirts right and so again like just always standing out like a sore thumb and so then I went to to what I knew and so living in a small town at this time small town Illinois Midwest mostly white like vast majority right um, but I, I gravitated towards what I knew so the black guys in that town, like I was a young teenager hanging out with, with adults and names like Bushwick and Juice, Black Dave, Black Juan, 
Um, and so we weren't reading books, right? Like we were doing certain things other than playing basketball at Hegler Park in LaSalle. Uh, and so after, after that, my, my parents encouraged me to make different friends. Like 15, 16, took a job at McDonald's, flipping burgers with, I worked with all Asians and Mexican kids. And so then I went and just hung out with nothing but a bunch of Asians and Mexicans. And uh, so again, like standing out as, as the sore thumb. Um, but what that did is it, it gave me an appreciation for different people's cultures, right? Like yeah. to be able to understand that we're not all raised the same. We don't all come from the same background, the same walk of life. We're not raised with the same values, same morals. Um, you know, eventually I, I moved away from the town where I was in, got into uh, to a more diverse setting. Um, I, I was always someone like I started at McDonald's when I was like 15. My parents and grandparents owned operated restaurants. And so I was always going to be a restaurant guy. Like I was in my mid-20s managing um i went from managing a dining room to managing a kitchen at a, at a very successful restaurant and i had always thought that i was going to do that um <clears throat> the universe always has different plans god has mm -hmm. different plans right and so what it did was it gave me a great understanding for again if you work in a kitchen you're working with different walks of life right like fry cooks are either teenagers or adults who have limited educational capacities, right? And they've been stopped because of just that, just that alone. And um, so you get a different appreciation for people. You get to, to manage different people. Uh, and so that was, that was also very beneficial. I also am, I, I have an understanding of, of food and, and how to cook and, and how to work with it. And so you know, that's one of those things that ties into to what we do today, where we work in the realm of nutrition. And so I have yeah. a great understanding of that. Um, my parents, God, God bless them both. They're very hardworking people. They're not very healthy people. Um, I can remember in third grade, my rule from my, from my parents to me was I had a limit of two Cokes a day, but the amount of Yoo-Hoo's I could drink was completely unlimited. <laughs> Both of my parents have uh, been type two at one point or another. Okay, mm -hmm. so we we are as as children products of of our nature, right? There are certain things that we're born with, certain things that we have um, genetically passed down. We have epigenetic expression, but we're also products of our environment. And then, as a child growing up, you get to decide. I love this about my parents. I'm going to let this. I'm, I'm, I, I like this, but this I hate about them. I promise I'll never be this way. And so I became obsessed with fitness, became obsessed with working out. And I, for whatever reason, my brain works of like, I must understand whatever I'm focused on. I need to understand it in, in every different facet, mm. right? It just becomes obsession. And I was actually talking to uh, Jason, Jason Phillips. Um, about this the other day saying like the reason why he and I succeed is we're both people who we will obsess over whatever it is and so yeah that that obsession led me into uh, personal training which led me into a deeper dive down the fitness rabbit hole which led me to learning even more about nutrition and coaching people and training people um, ultimately that that all leads down to uh Training, coaching, working with clients online, uh, in person with hundreds of different people. I won't, I won't exaggerate and be like, I've coached thousands. If you count group settings in, in different classes, sure, maybe, but that's not really creating an impact. So I've coached hundreds of different, different individuals at this time. Um, and, and currently, if you, you fast forward, that, that all led me to an opportunity to turn a side hustle as it were, into a full-time gig. Um, so I was working as a chemical technician in a glass factory. Uh, very grateful for that. Um, in this small town, it is that plant has has built and solidified families. Like yeah. 
my father-in-law retired from there. There's so many people in this community who, who get that job and it, it's a union job. It pays pretty well, but it's also a swing shift. It's not just shift work, it's swing shift. So it's literally seven days in a row, Oof. 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., one day off. Seven days in a row, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., one day off. Seven days in a row, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. So it's midnights, afternoons, days. So what that does is it completely destroys your body's ability oh, yeah. to process information through your natural uh, light-dark cycle. Your, your circadian biology is completely thrown off at all times. Um, for about five years, I slept an average of somewhere between four and five hours a night. Um, and all the while, I was, I was blessed to be able to coach CrossFit um, in classes to work with some pretty good athletes. Um, you know, my wife is an incredible, incredible athlete. Uh, she got up to 121 in the world before taking a kind of a crappy injury that, that pushed her back. Um, you know, we were at a, at a place as a coach and athlete where she was probably poised to be in the top 50 in CrossFit and uh, took a pretty, pretty nasty injury to push her out of competing. Um, but that's, that's just part of the journey, right? Being, being fortunate enough to work with, with different athletes, be they gym pop, um, be they high level, be they CrossFit, strongman, powerlifters, jujitsu, MMA. I'm, I've been very blessed to work with such a diverse clientele that currently, that, that has led me to where I am currently, which is a position with NCI, the Nutritional Coaching Institute. Um, I'm the, officially, I'm the COO or the director of operations. Essentially, it means I run the day-to-day -day of the company as well as trying to, so I've got the company over here. I'm trying to pull along and I've got Jason Phillips up here who's always trying to go all over the place and trying to pull him back this way. The way I explain it, and it's a little bit crass, but it's kind of funny, it's I'm the glue and the lube. I hold it together, but I also get it done. <laughs> nice. So that's, yeah. that's kind of like a long journey of where we are today. Somehow. Yeah, awesome. Cool. So I'm interested in hearing a little bit more. How did you and Jason meet? Uh, sure. I don't really know the story of how you guys got connected. And now, obviously, you're a, in a huge piece to to the entire, to the, what makes it happen at NCI. Uh, and, and as you said, kind of sometimes raining Jason back in, but. Yeah, and guys, anyone, if you ever hear Jason talk or if you ever get to experience him in person or get to work with him, you'll understand exactly what, what Dan was saying about trying to rein Jason in. Um, so as far as, uh, as far as that, I was coaching CrossFit here locally, uh, but I also had a fair amount of remote clients, um, just just various people throughout the country. Um, I was gaining momentum. I was, you know, like any good coach does, I'm posting all of my transformations online, right? Um, I got a little help. Uh, CrossFit used to have an Instagram page called, it was like CrossFit Gymnastics. And it was just their gymnastics seminar course. But it had like anyone who paid attention to CrossFit also paid attention to those pages. And so there was a guy that I was working with. I was doing his programming and coaching him. And he was in a god awful motorcycle accident and um, was, was told by doctors he would never be able to do a body weight pull up again. So we worked together for about a year and um, he was doing some unbroken muscle ups. That's happened awesome. To, uh, yeah. Happened to tag CrossFit Gymnastics and wrote the whole story of, of you know, his, his life and his competitive athletic life and what the resulting, um, the injuries from the crash meant for him and kind of our relationship and the fact that our work together had not only could he do a pull-up, but he was doing sets of muscle-ups both on the rings and on the bars after they said, your shoulders are destroyed. You're never going to be able to do this. So he kind of said, watch me. And uh, he posted that. And so obviously as his coach, I got some credit. I got a lot more eyes on me at that point. Um, and I had also met Jason Phillips online 
Just, uh, I think, I think I heard him on a podcast. It might've been the train heroic podcast and then saw him on an episode of barbell shrugged. Like most people, that's where a lot of people back in the yep. day really paid attention to Jason, his first barbell shrugged episode. So I started, uh, started consuming his, his content and listening to his message. I was like, yeah, this guy gets it. He understands how it should be done. And so I reached out on, on DM, just, just like most people do with Jason. And he is crazy enough to where he answers every single DM. And yeah. he gets a lot of them, right? Um, this is before he really blew up though. So I was very fortunate to be able to form, you know, an online friendship with him where we would just have regular conversations in the DMs, just kind of coaches talking to each other, sharing knowledge. Um, I was very appreciative of what he was putting out there. And so it, it kind of evolved to where like he was going live at night on Facebook and I had my following go on and watch his lives. And he'd be like, I remember he would be doing them from Virginia and he'd have like 28 people in the room watching his live and be like, guys, there's so many of you guys on here tonight. Like 14 of them were my people watching them. And so now, you know, when, when we, we have stuff and we have like 200 people on, gives that perspective of like, guys, we have 28 people. It's so many people in the room. Yeah. You know, that, was, that was literally just like three years ago. Um, and so ultimately I showed my wife uh, a video of his and she was like, this is amazing. You need to take what you do and you need to go do it for him. And so I, I literally said just like that. I was like, hey man, I just showed my wife your stuff. She thinks I need to work for you. So at some point, just to let you know, I'm probably going to work for you because that just nice. seems to be how it works out. When she says this is what should happen, it does. My wife has this bizarre superpower where if she puts it out in the universe and it's not like the law of attraction. Like it's, it's immediate results. It's super strange, man. Um, trying to get her to talk about lottery tickets, but it just never works out. Yeah. yeah I'm hoping she says nice things about me too. <laughs> Talking about your success in the space. Yeah. Right. Um, but so it, anyways, um, you know, I told him like, Hey man, just so you know, at some point I'm going to work for you. And, and that's kind of where it was. So if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. And our, our friendship continued. I started introducing him to people that I had met in the space at that point, whether it was like a Dr. Sean Pastuch or Andy Galpin or someone like that. Um, I've been fortunate that I do know a lot of stuff about different things. And I know that's super nondescript, but I can hold a conversation with most people about, about anything. And um, because of that, it's, it's open avenues of people that I know that I probably should. Like, you know, small town Illinois, less than a thousand people on Instagram, no real notoriety. The fact that I have some of these people in my phone still blows my mind. Um, but I was able to connect Jason with people. And so uh, a night occurred where, and he's talked about this multiple times, uh, Lewis Howes had a book signing event in New York. Jason went there, bought all of the leftover books, and then hit me up and he was like, hey man, can you and your wife go into Chicago? Lewis is having a book signing. What I want you to do is any books that he has left over, I'll give you a number, I'll give you a credit card number, go ahead and buy them, and then take all the books. And so, man, we went up there and I was on days, so remember, 6 a.m. to to 2 p.m. Oh yeah. We, we went up to the city during the week to listen listen to Lewis Howe speak and brought a book bag. We brought one of those roll along suitcases. It was like 96 copies of Lewis Howe's book that I brought brought home. We're, dude, we're walking down the streets in Chicago carrying like 200 pounds of books at 11 o'clock at night. Take the train back. Get back to the house almost one in the morning at this point. I've got to be up at six. She oh, had man. to go to work the next day early. I, I actually remember I ran to work three and a half miles the next morning. You know, why would you not, right? <laughs> um, and so that really put me on his radar. And Yeah, I would say so. It, it, it evolved from there. He would, uh, when, when his uh, daughter was born, he would be up at odd hours. But I was the guy who knew who was always awake. So he'd text me and I'd text him right back. And so our relationship just kind of evolved. Um, and then he called me one day and he was like, Hey, uh, 
So I want you to come run the inner circle. The inner circle was a continuing education platform. He would interview different guests. Um, there, there would be a whole lot of cool features. I was like, cool. Um, flew out to Scottsdale in March of, flew out to Las, flew out to Las Vegas, November, 2018. I'm so blessed to have a wife who's so supportive because her grandfather passed right before that happened. Mm. The services were going to be held then. And so she pushed me to go. She's like, no, I know what this opportunity means. You need to go. So I, yeah, that's, that's really cool. It, dude, it is, it is. And I'm, I'm so grateful for, for that, for her being so supportive. Um, wouldn't be where we are without that decision. And so literally man flew to Vegas, got off the plane, took an Uber from McCarran to, um, whatever hotel they were staying at met all of the IM3 it was IM3 the nutrition the nutrition coaching company at the time mm -hmm. met them all in the lobby went to dinner ate dinner didn't have a hotel room um ended up staying on a chair in a hotel room with Teddy and and Kyle two of the guys who were there at the time I just slept on the chair but I was so excited I couldn't sleep got up the next day went sat in on like the the team meeting all day team meeting was done dude hopped hopped in an uber went back to the airport and flew back home never saw oh, a minute man. of vegas still don't know what vegas is I, I know it is hotels uncomfortable chairs and conference rooms i don't know all the limelight and all that stuff so that's why i came on and he called me and he was like hey i want you to come to scottsdale so I came to Scottsdale, it was March, 2019. Got a kind of a vibe for what was going on in the company that I was working part-time for. Things were not well. Jason was not well, the company was not well. They were at odds internally. So I had a meeting with him before I left. And I was like, this is what I wanna do. I wanna put myself as a wedge, as a go between, between you and the team. Because right now things are not cohesive, they're not, not vibing. You're not feeling your team. Your team's not feeling you. It's a disaster waiting to happen. So I talked to his president at the time, the president of IN3, and I talked to Jason. We all agreed this is what would be best. Um, over the course of many months, my job changed drastically from heading the inner circle to director of communications between different entities, different companies, then we had a major changeover, um, November, December of last of last year, 2019, and I assumed the role of uh, director of operations, and so that's where I got into the driver's seat. Coincidentally, January we had our best month ever as a company. <laughs> so that that's that is not all me but what i can say is we removed distractions and we cut down to just a few people on the team we put our heads down we worked our faces off and as a company we're breaking records almost every month and we're in our best place ever and so i'm grateful to be here i'm i'm grateful for meeting jason i'm grateful for having to work swing shift before that, I'm grateful for working 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., six days a week, working in a sand plant while I was still doing stuff online as a side hustle. I'm grateful for managing a restaurant. I'm, I'm grateful for having to move all over the place. Some other things that probably aren't appropriate to talk about if this is a family-friendly show of a, a different person that I used to be up until the age of 23 that involved breaking out in uh, handcuffs. Um, I'm grateful for all that, man, because the truth is I get to live the American dream. I, I am not formally trained. I am self-taught in, in nearly everything. I do not have a college degree in anything. Um, I check the box on an application as some college because that's what I have. Yeah, I'm grateful for the struggle and, and every step of the way because someone like me 20 years ago couldn't be where I am. But because of today in our society, in this country, 
and the internet. The American dream is alive and I get to live it. And I'm so grateful for that every day of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. So many amazing lessons along the way. And I think it's really powerful that you have the consciousness to, to be grateful for those things because they brought you to where you are right here. Uh, I was going to take this in a different direction, but I think what you just brought up is, is really important conversation in, in the world today. Uh, and that you obviously believe that the American dream is still, still very relevant. It's still very possible. And it's something that everyone should aspire to. Um, yep. And I do as well. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that a little bit. Uh, and yeah, why you believe that to be true. But So we're, we're in a very fortunate time in, in certain aspects. Not so fortunate in others, but uh, this country, if you think about like the stereotypical company in the 50s, 60s, like Mad Men type stuff, you could get a job working in the mailroom and work your way up to vice president. Like yeah. that was a real thing that could happen. Then the country really started to, for whatever reason, for many reasons, started to really put pressure on higher education as well as should, right? The more educated society you have, the better off you typically are. We could use a little bit more of that right now. Um, but, the fact that for maybe 30 to 40 years, you couldn't do that. And you would get your degree, go for your interview, and what is it? Well, we're looking for someone with a little bit more experience. Yeah. But I just paid $150,000 to get this piece of paper. How do you expect me to get experience if no one will hire me, right? Like, that's a catch-22. Yeah. That has put a lot of people into a very bad place in this country. And it's also part of the reason why we're seeing some of the stuff happen the way that we're seeing it. But anyways, um, but then the internet came along. And in the last few years with things like social media, you've now been put in touch with audiences you could never reach. Like initially, I was on Facebook back when college students were the only ones who were supposed to have Facebook. Yep. And you would post like where the party was, what you were gonna eat, um, you know, whatever the case may be. And that was before old people, like I am now, that was before old people were allowed on Facebook. But Facebook turned into where you friended your, your, the people you went to high school with so you could talk shit about them, about how much weight they've gained so you know you're doing better than them. And then you had Instagram that came along and the Instagram was like, you could hashtag to see the world and you could see people across the globe doing amazing things. You could like them. You could comment. You could support them. People you're never going to meet in your life. And so like that was a really cool concept, right? Then Facebook bought out Instagram, went public. And so now what? Well, if we're going public, we want to make money because we have shareholders that we need to keep happy. What are we going to do? We're going to sell some ads. Yep, monetize. Algorithms, right? Like all those things. And, and that kind of sucks because almost everyone I know, if, if it's like, hey, do you want your newsfeed controlled by these clowns or do you just want straight chronological? Everyone's like, just chronological, please. That's, that's good. Um, but, but what it did is it allowed billions of people onto one marketplace. And so now we are in a position, and, and COVID is accelerating this, by the way, mm -hmm. and, and, and the burning down of America. It's, it's accelerating. We're understanding that you can work remotely and get most of the work in an eight hour day done in two and a half hours, right? Yep. We're doing this with e-schooling too, e-learning. Um, and I firmly believe in the next five to seven years, man, we're going to be in a society where people wake up, check their phone, see whatever job offers they have for that day, or if they have projects offered to them where they can choose and be like, swipe right. I want that project, right? Or no. And I think we're going to see an acceleration towards that. And so I was very fortunate to be able to ride that wave as an early adapter, right? And so that's led me to where I am. And so because of this double-edged sword that is the internet, that is social media, 
you can be a no name, no notoriety, in most cases of influencers, no freaking talent, yeah. not much intelligence, and you can make tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Yep. And so, yeah, you can, on, on your determination, on the sweat of your brow and the strain of your back, now more than ever, you can accelerate faster. You can grow quicker. You can grow larger and wider than you, you'd ever thought because of the time that we just so happen to be lucky enough to be alive in. Oddly enough, a terrible time, but the best time to be alive. Yeah, 100%. Agree on so many levels with that, for sure. Changing gears a little bit and staying in the same frame of social media and accelerating so many aspects of our life. As a father, uh, how does that play into you parenting your kids? And I guess to give us context as well, uh, what ages do you have? Uh, boys, girls, I, I'm not even sure. So that first and then, um, then yeah, how, how is that affecting parenting uh, in, in this environment right now? So oddly enough, it, it doesn't really affect the parenting and, and you'll understand why. So we're a mixed bag. While I am old and, and cranky, my wife has been on this earth longer than me. She's much more younger, much more vibrant than me but she's been here a little longer. She's got a little more seniority. And so we have four children combined. And so myself at 38, I have a 30-year-old stepson. I have a 28-year-old stepdaughter, right? And then um, I, I have uh, a child from a relationship who doesn't live with us. He's 15. He lives a few hours away. And we have a son together who's 12. We are the parents who... There's not much screen time. There's no social media. Our son, Charlie, does not have a phone. He will not have one for three or four years. We have that, like, that first phone, their first smartphone, bought that last year. We'll hand it to him in a couple of years. Um, he is a product of reasonably decent genetics, um, a controlled environment, his own personality, much care and love we my wife not we she homeschooled him for a year and accelerated his growth uh he read treasure island in fourth grade just because yeah, wow. we had a conversation last year at the bus stop in the morning where he said he wasn't sure if he wanted to go to harvard or west point for what would help him to become president He's a unique kid and uh, very, we're very blessed to have him, but it's not hard because he's not going to see social media for a while. Because if you look at what it, social media is doing on whole, especially to children, specifically to actually young girls, mm -hmm. we have a suicide yeah. rate that's going through the roof, right? Like bullying, or as we called it growing up just being a kid where you picked on people and you got picked on for different things um has has taken a severe turn and is now amplified by social media there's a lot of terrible people both children more specifically now terrible adults who are expressing their opinions yep. on social media and, and bullying and, and we're seeing it all across the country and so like as far as the parenting aspect of social media we're lucky it's super easy there is none <laughs> yeah I think that's a good, good place to be for sure. I, I have a friend of mine who has two teenage daughters and he was dealing with that exact scenario where she was being bullied and pressured on Instagram and it turned into like uh, much, you know, much deeper issues that they had to seek counseling about. And it's just scary to see that happen to a young girl. It's, it's crazy. It is, man. It's, it's terrible. And that's, that's why earlier I called it a double-edged sword because we're closer than ever. We have information that we can access easier than ever. But conversely, when you look at things like face filter technology, which is the, the new trend on the gram and probably on TikTok, I don't know. I'm not there. No. Um, but where like Joe Rogan put up a thing, his, his daughter filtered his face and it looked like a, a, a chick. 
Um, my wife plays with the things and you can put your face on. Uh, she did like Ariana Grande today or yesterday or something. Um, we're not very far from just completely being able to frame people for murder, right? Like it's on an app. You'll be able to do it real soon. Kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, that's extremely scary to think about. Say, in your experience then in giving a little advice to maybe some of the dads that are listening to this conversation who are having a tough time having the conversation about, you know, what exposure should they give their kids to social media? Uh, being a, a, a dad in this current environment where it can be so hard because there's influence for, from all over the place that you can't necessarily control at all times. Uh, do you have any advice for them? how to approach a topic like that, you know? So every, everything is, is dependent upon the individual. Uh, not, no, no two children are the same in their development. And so you have to take into account the child's emotional intelligence, right? Like their emotional development, how far along are they? Um, their actual intellect, their ability to uh, discern, you know, what's what's in a movie versus what's in real life. Uh, we've how daring they are, also. I, and I know that's kind of an odd thing, but years and years and years ago, there was a, a football movie. I think it was called The Program that came out. And there was a scene. It was back in the early to mid '90s, where they they cut the scene from the the theatrical version where the football player went and laid in the middle of a road, right? As traffic was on both sides of them and kids were doing this, right? You're going to get run over. And so if you have a daring child or someone who you feel is easily influenced, you have to be a bit tighter with that. And honestly, man, and I, I can, it's, it's only speculation at this point with me personally, but given the current environment, given the current lack of empathy, given the current lack of thought and the things that people share and, and most of them not being factual and most of them being violent at this point, considering what's going on, you know, with, um, with the state of the world, with, with the virus, with, with the, uh, the protests or the riots, depending on, you know, who you're seeing. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow any exposure. I would try to control that as much as possible, but it's, it's all about understanding your, your child as an individual. And the only way you're going to do that is if you ask them questions, right? Like not talk to them, but ask them questions, see how they think independently, see the answers that they give you. Um, conversation should be two ways. It, it shouldn't, there's not much learned from a one way conversation unless you're interviewing someone for a job or, or, or for something like that conversation that we learn from is always two ways and so you have to be able to have that with your children treat them with with respect and and talk to them like you would an adult so you can see where they're at in their developmental phase and, and then you just need to make your best educated guess as a parent on on what you think that they can absorb without being uh, manipulated for the negative that's that's probably the best advice I could give yeah, I love that. I think it's so powerful and something that more parents could consider when interacting with their kids is that it needs to be a two-way conversation. And until you do, it's unlikely that whatever you're telling them is not going to sit, not going to sit very well uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. So it's obviously very clear. I know you from uh, our working together uh, with you know you and Jason and a lot of deep dive, deep conversation, uh, and even just in you telling your story so far, it's very clear that you've done a lot of work to develop the man who you are, the the man that will look at each each conversation from a multitude of perspectives and take them all into consideration. Would you say it's a product just of your experience, or have you done anything specific to develop that awareness? Uh, and yeah, just develop that in yourself. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of people are lacking in, in that awareness. Uh, so I believe as a parent, 
and and I touched on this earlier from the from the child's perspective. I believe as a parent, your job is to amplify any good traits that you have and pass them down. And whatever you know that's not good, you need to stop that. You need to not pass that to your child. Some people refer to them as generational curses. We have to break those things, but it starts with self-awareness. Uh, some of the stuff that I skipped over that I alluded to, um, I was a very angry person. Uh, growing up, my, my model for, for a man was a very angry man who could not deal with his emotions, who had gone through trauma as a child, who learned to express through, through anger. Um, and also, since that was, the, that was my learned behavior, was dealing with things through anger. And, and also, I remember distinctly in, in uh, junior high, in the new school that I went to, a kid had said something that I didn't like and I had picked him up, one hand on his collar, one hand on his neck, and held him halfway out the second story window. So he got pretty scared. And so when someone's afraid of you, you have power over them. And I felt that power. And so I wanted to be a badass. I pursued that. I was a guy in high school and afterwards who would find me fighting a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, got good, good scars, got a, won't be able to see it, but beer bottle busted over my head here, stabbed in the shoulder, like just, oh, man. just, just all sorts of, all sorts of fun stuff. And um, if you're not in a ring fighting for money, what happens is they arrest you. I don't know if anyone out there knows that, but that's what happens. And uh, at some point, you, you have to understand that this is your life. It is literally your only, only chance that we know of, right? We don't know if it's reincarnation after this. We don't know if we go to heaven. We don't know if we become absorbed into the universe as, as a collective conscious. Um, we don't know that stuff. And so what we know is that you get one shot. You only get one you have to make it count. You have to decide what kind of a life that you want. When you decide that, you have to pursue it. And this isn't like, you have to develop the discipline to pursue it even when you don't want to, even when you feel like doing other things. And so for me, not wanting to be angry, I didn't want to be angry anymore. I didn't want that to be my natural reaction to things. I, uh, I started reading... Um, I believe it was meditations was, was my first touch into stoicism. And, yep. you know, then it, um, Seneca, um, of course, of course, Ryan Holiday and his works, mm -hmm. which led me to Robert Greene, who's my favorite author and his works. Um, my office is always surrounded mm -hmm. by books and learning and knowledge and constantly working on improving myself daily because I still suck at so many things and I still lose my temper sometimes. I still react with emotion sometimes. My judgment still gets clouded and it always will. But the point is to do the work of improving because progress is perfection. Like there's no perfection. It doesn't exist. It's progress. Progress is perfection. Moving the needle a little bit every day. And so for me, it's um, and that's probably caused me to be an introvert because I'm very, uh, I work through things in my head internally before letting anything out. And the side effect of that is very straight faced. And like, if you see me on pod calls, like right now we're, we're engaging, I'm talking, but if you see me and I have like a downward shaped mouth, my straight face is, I believe the, the ladies refer to it as resting bitch face. Like I just yeah. look at them, right? And when I'm quiet and I'm thoughtful, I may look bad, but I'm trying not to say the wrong thing. I'm trying to work through whatever the problem is in my head, right? And, and that just comes, it, it comes from years, almost a, a decade of trying really hard every day to, to suck less, to get like this much better. And so for me, it's trying to overcome anger, trying to overcome emotion and and that's led me to, uh, and also 
just terrible decisions. I was an awful decision maker for a long time. Like I, I ruined my life. It's a miracle I was able to get back um, through through the the things that I, I chose to pursue, which were not not virtuous things, not moral things, not loving things. Um, and so yeah, man, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work every day. But what that leads me to is trying to think of things from other people's point of view. And I wish. I wish so much that that we as a society with all these things going on could have like a sit down and and just understand that there's no one answer and and there's no one cause right like everyone's trying to point to one thing and it's a whole layered it's an onion man it's it's yep. got so many layers and and people don't understand like do you mind if I take this there for just a second just yeah Okay. Yeah. Let me talk to you, everyone. So we have to understand that every human life is a very unique collection of experiences, feelings, thoughts, words, decisions, and actions. When any one person drops off this earth, there is a unique experience gone. Those memories are wiped. No one else possesses those. Only one person ever had those, right? We all come from a different background. We all come from, from different areas. And so if you look, if you look at some of the things going on, just some of them, right now we have a country divide. We can look at your more mm, Republican, outer skirt, suburban, and urban, right? Like, majority Republican, and then you start to move to the more populous, more close together areas. And, and we're, we're a more democratic, right? In our voting, in our voting only, like not mm -hmm. our thought process. People yeah. don't even understand the difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you look at someone who is born and raised in a city, a white man, right? Let's look at a white man born in a city. They see many different races. And they see more often black people being mistreated, right? They see that more than a person in a rural setting. And the reason why is there's no black people. Here. There's no gay people. Here. There's no trans people. Here. It's mostly white and there's some Mexicans. There's not, there's not much else. And so you don't get that eye to eye. You don't get that conversation. You don't get that understanding. So you grow up in a city. In a city, there's probably a higher percentage chance that you live in a complex of sorts, whether it's a condo, whether it's an apartment, whatever the case may be. You live with other people, you own nothing. The person who owns it is the landlord, AKA the man. <laughs> His job is to collect the money, collect the cash, right? And so if your pipes burst and you're dependent on this person and they don't get there, you don't like them. You don't like the person who is not allowing you to live your best life and it's in their control directly. If there's a lot of people in one small area, it's probably not the greatest idea for people to have firearms. Why? Because you can gun down a lot of people really quick. And so it's normal to be afraid of um, things like that. It's normal to understand that in this complex, we're together, we are unified, we're social, we're one. When you're in a city, you see things like Maseratis, Lamborghinis, Bentleys. Around here, it's like $80,000 trucks and Corvettes and some, some Benzes, right? Like, yep. That's not a lot. When you can buy a new GMC Denali for the same price that the attorney is driving his new Benz, it's not really disparity. We don't see as much equality. But when you get in the city setting, you see multi-millionaires, you see billionaires, and you see poverty. A lot of it. You see homeless. You see the disparity. You're forced to see it. You see more police. You see more violence. You see these things. But you're renting. You're not owning. This isn't yours. It's someone else's. You're just you're borrowing. You're paying to borrow. And then you go into a rural setting. Factory workers, farmers, blue collar, mostly white, 
busted their ass for everything that they have, most of them. And you own. This is my house. I buy mm -hmm. this. I need to protect what's mine. I better get a gun for protection. Or you enjoy hunting. Or you hunt to eat. That's also a very real thing here. So people grow up with guns here. They're very comfortable with it. It's also protecting what is yours, right? As opposed to the person who's got a background, completely different. What the white person in Chicago sees, which is 90 minutes away from me, is not what the white person in my town sees. Completely different. And so we come from different backgrounds. We see different things. We have different experiences. We live different lives. And because of that, we have different points of view. In a small town where you work for everything that you have, you probably don't want to hear that you're privileged when chances are you're a pipe fitter, an electrician, you work at a distribution center because in small towns there aren't corporate jobs. White collar is you're a doctor, you're an attorney, or you sell insurance, and that's it. And, or a judge, right? And those are super few and far between. Yep. It's mostly blue collar. And so again, hard working, busting your ass. And so when you turn on the TV, and you see what the media puts out there. I'm pretty sure we know it's biased. Mm -hmm. Whatever channel you turn it on, it's, it's biased. Whether it's Fox, Fox News on one side or CNN on the other, it's biased. And so when you turn it on and as a white person in a small town, you're like, oh, you're white privilege, you're white privilege. You turn around and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm on welfare. That's not white privilege. But it's a different experience. But in the city, when you can walk into a store and no one bats an eye, but a black guy walks into the store and they're looking at him. Well, white privilege may exist there because it's situational. Because all privilege is situational. Yeah. We live on a spectrum of oppression here to privilege over here. Someone is both. It exists on a spectrum and it's always situational. Because if you take that same white guy in the city, walked into a store and no one batted an eye, and he walks down the Inglewood neighborhood in Chicago, which if you don't know what Inglewood is, it's where the shootings happen. He doesn't have much privilege there, I promise you. Yep. But people don't, they don't want to think in layers. And they don't want to think that some of these 24-year-old kids who are Antifa, who are starting to lean towards socialism, not, you know, maybe, maybe Marxism, not really, but more socialism, it's a little bit of communism. It's because they don't have anything. The system is definitely set up against them. It is because capitalism is the way, but unchecked capitalism is not. And it's created things like Jeff Bezos adding $80 billion to his personal net worth in three months. Elon Musk from 40 billion to 100 billion. And then you see everyone else struggling. And it's hard, it's hard when you see people with that unrealistic amount of success striving in a difficult time and your whole life, you've had to work for something. You're told, go to school, get a job, get a career, do it this way. And then you went to school and got a degree and you tried to get a job in your career path, but it's full or they want someone with more experience or it doesn't pay as well. And now you're flipping burgers. And now you're making $12 an hour with $180,000 in debt. And so we all come from different walks of life. We all have different perspectives. And there's no one right answer for every person who says, well, if this man would have complied, he wouldn't have been shot in the back seven times. I say to you, is the penalty in the state of Wisconsin or resisting? Is it death by firing squad? And the answer is no. The crime always had, or the, the punishment always has to fit the crime if we ever want justice. And justice must be served across the board equally, no matter what, without regard, without exception. Yet at the same time, if, 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 and it's all conjecture at this point, if that gentleman had a uh, worn out for sexual assault on a minor, which again, I wanna remind you, the death penalty for that is not death, or the, the, the penalty for that in the state of Wisconsin, it's not death, it's not death by firing squad. That's not the penalty. That's not what should have happened. 
but conversely, if you're getting arrested, you should probably listen to the officer to de-escalate the situation on your behalf. Because the other reality is this, our police are under trained. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that statement. We shouldn't have obese cops. And if, if you're a police officer and you've got a little bit of weight to lose, I'm, God bless you, I hope you do. Because when you're serving our society, you're supposed to serve and protect. You need to be a healthy individual. You need to be a physically capable individual. In my personal opinion, if we were to take this a little bit deeper, perhaps we could actually, hear me out, increase the pay of police officer to get a higher quality of person going after this job. Perhaps we could train them further. Perhaps we could train them to grapple. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is the art of subduing people, right? Mm -hmm. You're just folding, mm -hmm. folding clothes while humans are still in them. And striking. To teach the police in a physical altercation, if, if they have not been able to successfully de-escalate a situation, to be able to successfully subdue a subject by using a joint lock or a, a blood, a blood strangle so they lose consciousness for a few seconds. Because in a few seconds, and as someone who practices this, if you go to jujitsu, if you've ever been choked out, you're out for about five to 10 seconds, five to 10 seconds, you should be able to cuff an individual. That's all that's necessary. What's not necessary is kneeling down on someone for eight and a half minutes. That's unnecessary. What's unnecessary is when an individual is already cuffed and on their stomach to release a dog. This is unnecessary. These individuals all need to be held accountable because, and I know I, know I went there for more than a second, <laughs> but they need to be held accountable because it's up to the individual. You should never come to me, Michael, and expect me to carry the the weight of men and the weight of of the white race because i am not that i am a person who has lived here who's tried to do the best that they can and i promise you i am not an example of, of white and i am not an example of man i am only myself and once we start to try to understand more perspectives and once we understand things like facts and statistics and even though we're going through what we're going through, if we look at the statistics in 2019 in the state of Wisconsin, 16 people were killed by police, 11 white, three black, two Hispanic. If we start to look at those things and bring them in, we start to understand that I think it was the Kenosha PD, but I know it was in Wisconsin for sure. In 2004, they shot and killed a white man who they had pulled over. His name is Michael Bell Jr., if anyone wants to Google it. A decade later, his family won a $2 million lawsuit for the cover-up. What we can see is that the police problem we have is not against black. It's not against white. And when we factor in that there were 9,000 arrests in 2019 in the state of Wisconsin for violent crimes, we understand that you have a lesser chance of having a fatal encounter for being arrested for a violent crime in the state of Wisconsin than you do of dying from COVID-19. Once we start to understand those things, we can now look and say, this isn't a police brutality problem. This isn't a white problem. It's not a black problem. It's an individual problem. It is always up to you. You don't carry the weight. You shouldn't be forced to carry the weight of anyone. You shouldn't be forced to carry the weight of all fathers, of, of all mothers, if there are any women out there listening. You shouldn't be forced to carry the weight of your race. It's not fair because you are only human and there is only one of you. And you are just here trying to live your best life like everyone else is. And I think if we really start to open our minds and our hearts to the opinions and the viewpoints and the experience of others and see what they've been through, then you can really start to understand how we can work through these things. We can all come together for a better tomorrow. So, if you are willing to do the radical work on yourself, to become radically open-minded and to love people and to love life because life matters, life, all of it, all of it matters. If you're willing to do that stuff, you can see a way to a better tomorrow. And then you can teach your children how to find that path. So that's probably the end of that rant. Well, I'm glad that you went for longer than a minute and 
I completely agree. And I love that perspective. And I haven't heard it said quite so elegantly. And I think that honestly is, is a great place to leave this episode. And I think it's going to give, you know, whether it's, whether it's a guy or, or a woman listening to this, this show, I think it's going to give them a lot to think about and both being a parent and just, just a human being and being themselves and how, how they can improve that and bring a better version of, of themselves to the world. So I think that was awesome. Thanks, man. Well, be careful, be careful of the stuff that you put onto social media. Whatever you put out there in the world, every time you share or you, you put up a post, that's a vote for what you want to be in this world. So be careful with what you do. 100%. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. It was a great conversation with so many different directions. I, and, and yeah, I'm just glad that I'm glad you took your, your Friday evening burger and, uh, you know, burger time to, to meet with me and have a conversation. So dude, thank you very much for having me. Um, it was, it was great. I'm more than, more than happy to, to come on and, and chat whenever. Um, it was awesome to everyone out there. Do your best to be a good human every single day. Be grateful for the people you have in your life. Try to enrich your relationships because I promise pursuing things and pursuing money, it'll only leave you hollow. It is only these relationships that we have. This is all that matters. So be good to one another. Try to be good to your children. Be good to your spouse. Be good to your friends. Be good to your neighbor. You don't need to be Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, anything. It doesn't cost anything to be a good human. So please go give as much of that as you possibly can because you need it. Yeah, brother. Listen to the man and I'll, I'll end it there. <laughs>